Forget about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As once again, baseball is clouded by non-playing issues uh, that are dominating the headlines right now. Uh, We've had uh, another small but potentially significant trade take place during the the week here. Some amazing heaters from teams and uh, individual players as well. The all-star starters were announced, Team USA as well. Uh, we're going to give our own version of the uh, AL MVP uh, debate at this point, and if things would continue, where would we, where would our positions lie based upon the historic nature of the AL MVP uh, debate going on? Could a a pitcher pick up the Cy Young for the first time? Not only Cy Young, but the MVP award for the first time in a long time in the National League. Lots to uh, take a peek at, along with the. Uh, the evil empire showing crumbling issues right now and the fans and general manager and owner not knowing what to say out, say about it other than the fact that we're not playing good right now. So lots of things to take a look at uh, this week, but before we dive into our, our first uh, back-to-normal schedule in a little while, we'll get back to normal first by saying the Heater Broadcast is brought to you by River Keek Popcorn for all of your Snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice. Come hungry, leave happy. Uh, it is a holiday weekend, folks, and uh, also it is at the, the popcorn wagon, and this tends to be a, a busy weekend for you guys, especially as we hit the midway point of summer. Holidays are always busier, which is to be expected. People like to travel. It's fairly warm in Wisconsin these last couple days, but otherwise sun is shining, so it's hard to complain. And, yeah, it was today was really busy. I had a lot of questions about Monday because it is a holiday, so some people have off work. I'm not going to open up on Monday. So if you're listening to this and it's Sunday, I'm not opening on Monday. Sorry. See us again next week. Any uh, firework plans for you? I'm going to a friend of mine who lives right next to Nishan in Reedsburg. So I'm going to be at Reedsburg tomorrow night. You? There you go. Uh, still undecided. Not sure if we're going to go anywhere or not. We were able to get some... Uh, See a pretty that, cool display uh, last year just from the, the front yard. So. I hear that Laval, which is going on like in an hour here, so we're not going to make it. But I hear like Laval has an awesome one, so maybe next year we'll have to go to Laval because yeah. apparently they do it a different night. They uh, they keep that uh, one of the better rural ones you're going to find around the region for sure. I've never been to that one, and it's got to be right over the water, right? They have to shoot, They must shoot them off over the water. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then Sock does that too. I used to go to that one with my grandpa. So if you're out celebrating this weekend with uh, uh, some uh, Friends. good grilling and uh, fireworks popcorn. and uh, everything else, just make sure to add some popcorn <laughs> to your uh, uh, to your ensemble uh, for the holiday weekend. As we look at uh, injuries, this is the first time that this segment won't take a, a long time. The smallest amount of injuries that we've seen in quite a while. Yeah, body heat's a little lower this week. That's our segment here. So we'll start with one that we all have mentioned on this podcast a few times, seeing coming. Uh, Denelson Lamette hit the 10-day IL with right forearm inflammation. So the Padres have babied his arm because I think he's had two Tommy Johns already. And from he's only 24 still, and everything that we've basically been indicated is he probably needs it again. 
but they use him for an inning or two here, and now he's shut down again. And so I, they're going to use the kid gloves the rest of the year on that right arm of his. Uh, yeah, that's a tough blow. The uh, And you hear people coming back from two Tommy Johns. That list gets a whole lot less when it comes to three. Mm-hmm. Willie Calhoun, Texas Rangers outfielder, sort of sometimes plays DH. He fractured the ulna bone in his left forearm. He got hit by a pitch that was about a week ago. That's going to be a lengthy one. Do not expect to see him anytime soon. Another lengthy one. I don't know if you saw the play. Josh Naylor crashed into, I don't remember who's playing second for the for the Indians, maybe Cesar Hernandez, and his leg, like the ankle was just hanging there. It was a, that was a pretty gross one. So they said fractured leg. Do not expect to see that one anytime soon. I don't know if Josh Naylor will play the rest of this year, actually. I'm sure they had to have surgery for that. Another big name who has battled the same injury all season is Cattell Marte. We've seen him leave with the hamstring, come back, leave with the hamstring, come back. Well, he hit the aisle again with the strained left hamstring. At this point, just give him a month off. You just have to shut it down. It's, it's not getting better doing the little thing. Uh, and if you already know, you're not going to trade him. right? If, if that's already the position, which right now all – uh, tea leaves at this point are, are whispers are saying at this point that he's one of their cornerstone pieces that they want to keep and try to build around. Well, then then take care of his health, get him get him healthy, and and uh, let him sit for a month and come back. Perhaps the best team in baseball right now is the Houston Astros. They are certainly in that discussion, but they lost a big part of their starting rotation. Jose Urquidy for the second time this season hit the IL with right shoulder discomfort. That's his throwing arm. He had. I think it was Tuesday he came out and he was throwing about six miles an hour less than he usually does. And the next day he hit the IL with the same thing he's had already. That's another one. Caution, expect a lot of caution there because that's a team that's expecting to play in the postseason and they'd much rather have him pitching then than pitching now. Yeah, the issue isn't now. The issue is having him healthy come October. Let's talk about your favorite player in baseball, Blake Snell. Hit the <laughs> injured list with an illness. He's sick. He's got to get some medicine. Because he is currently not getting paid. Actually, I'm sure he'd be paid on the aisle. It was just a good joke. But he uh, actually, I think he might. There's a talk that he will be healthy enough to pitch again tomorrow. So he did hit the aisle with an injury, but he will be back very shortly. Well, he's only feeling the way that fans have been feeling watching him pitch all there's season long. The jokes were the jokes for Blake Snell being sick and Dylan Bundy puking on the mound the other day. I saw people like, did he watch himself pitch? I'm like, man, that's pretty brutal. Like. Get the guy some slack, but yeah, they all set themselves up for it. That's a touche. Colton Wong. Ah, so Colton Wong, it was an oblique, and then it was an oblique, and then it was a calf, and then he came back after missing five days, I think, and made two innings, and they finally put him on the IL and said, Colton, take off till at least after the All-Star break, I'm sure. I Just another injury, these reoccurring muscle tear, pulls. We say it all the time. Take your time. For Simpsons fans out there, I'm sure you'll recognize also the when I'm talking about you have the of Grandpa Simpson, Abe Simpson, walking into a building, putting his hat down on the hat uh, hat rack, turning right around, grabbing his hat, and walking it's a, it's out. A classic gift. That's what Colton Long pretty it is much a classic gift. Oh, here's another one that comes up a lot. Same team as Cattell Marte is Zach Gallen. Hey, this is for one for what it's worth. This is a different injury, but he's been on this list multiple times this year with his elbow. Talking about like avoiding the ulnar nerve problem that he had, but this was a hamstring strain. I was watching their game last night. He threw a pitch and he like hopped around for a second and then he fell down and they had to take him out. So hamstring, once again, be very cautious here. Diamondbacks. This is some guy that you want to build around. 
So again, as we've been talking about here, just on this injured list, if you wonder why Arizona's been having as bad a year as they've had, just listen to the injuries right here from the from Body Heat. You have uh, your your star center fielder, your best offensive player on the IL with a lingering uh, uh, hamstring issue. You have your best pitcher and a Cy Young candidate who uh, been on the IL list multiple times this year for various things. Uh, when you don't have your your star players in, uh, it, it bodes for a long year. That's true. I have one more injury, but I'm going to save it because this player, actually, I put him on the heater before he got hurt, so we'll get to him a little bit. Let's talk some hot off the presses, though. Yeah, let's go hot off the presses. Talk about uh, we had uh, an, uh, I'm going to call it an underrated trade already. I think this is for for the team that uh, that took the upgrades. They're small but very uh, impactful uh, upgrades. Also, it's the Blue Jays get Corey Dickerson and Adam Simber in exchange for uh, Joe Panic and a prospect to the Marlins. So Dickerson's probably the bigger name, but he's hurt right now. The Blue Jays are flush with hitting outfielders. They have tons of them. Randall Gritchick, Lourdes Gurriel, Teoscar Hernandez. George Springer's back. George Springer hitting. is back. So for what it sounded like, it was actually Corey Dickerson, while he may be the bigger name, was not what they wanted. They wanted Adam Simber, who is a relief pitcher, and their bullpen, we've, we've mentioned a couple times how many injuries they've had, and I saw that Simber, they're playing your team, right? They're playing your team. I think he got the win today. So they're using him in high-leverage situations early on, and he's kind of a side armor, but a good pitcher, definitely. Yeah, he has a 2.78 ERA, 3.27 uh, FIP, uh, and because he has that different arm angle, this if there's one weakness on the the Blue Jays, I mean, you can talk about starting pitching or needing more impactful starting pitching at the top, uh, but uh, getting better bullpen depth, that's a, an underrated move for me. As for what it means for the Marlins, this is the start of them selling a little bit. They're, they're, I think they're still in last in the NL East, and it's kind of a rebuild year. We've said their, their pitching is coming. It's some of it's here right now, but more of it's coming later. And they have a very highly regarded prospect who I, they called up about two weeks ago named Jesus Sanchez. He was actually on your team for a long time yep. and was leading the minor leagues in home runs, at least earlier in the year. I don't know if he was when he got called up, but this means Jesus Sanchez's time is here. They're, they're not going to mess around with it anymore. Expect him to keep playing, and it's the right move, right? They're, they're rebuilding, and Jesus Sanchez is your future, not Corey Dickerson. Jesus Sanchez has always been a toolsy outfielder who's been more on the projection side than full-on stats side. Uh, he's had some good numbers in the minors, but he's always been young for the league, uh, and uh, I think this is his second full season in AAA, and you're starting to see him put all of that together. Uh, and so excited to see what he can do at the major league level now. I'm just checking to see how he's actually done. So he's been up 52 times in 14 games. He's got a couple home runs. Seven RBIs hitting 250, like, that's fine. You'll take that, right? Especially Absolutely. for a kid who's 23. A good move for both teams, I think. We have one more trade. Tim LaCastro got moved to the Yankees. Yankees fans wanted the big move, and here it is. No, I'm just kidding. You, <laughs> if, if, if you want to get a big move, this is not it. LaCastro is Brett Gardner light, right? He's kind of a speedy center fielder. I heard a lot of – I saw a lot of Yankees fans saying, this is not Joey Gallo, and no, it's not. I do think Joey Gallo would be amazing as a fit in center field for you. That would be quite the outfield, but – uh, LeCastro is a fourth outfielder, and I think the Diamondbacks just got back some money, if I'm not mistaken there. Someone's got to uh, take care of the pop uh, pop stand. Should we talk about the the news? Uh, yeah, this is, again, uh, baseball can't get out of its own way. Uh, this time it's not Rob Manfred, surprisingly. No, uh, no. 
And uh, there's some off-the-field issues that uh, has been all over Major League Baseball for about the last 72 hours, give or take. And uh, uh, Trevor Bauer uh, has been accused of uh, considerable misconduct, and uh, a criminal investigation is undergoing. Other things are there, and uh, still not a lot of information out from a legal standpoint yet. Uh, and it was going to be an awkward situation if he... Again, with starting pitchers, you know, it's only once every five days, right? So uh, this news broke, and he was going to start within like two days afterwards. And the question was, what do you what do you do here? You do have innocent until proven guilty, but you also have the uh, the off the field distraction and other serious allegations that are going on. So how do you handle it? And so Major League Baseball did step in and put him on administrative leave, which is a again not admitting uh, fault, blame, or uh, not punishment of any of any kind. Uh, in fact, he's still being paid during this this time. Uh, so it's just a matter of like more in, giving time for more information to come out. If I'm not mistaken, the maximum you can be on that list is 14 days. It's either seven seven days or 14 days. So it's just a, just trying to give a little more time to figure out where things go from here. It's a it's a tough read. Um, it so it seems to be yeah. a, seems to have been sort of consensual to an extent. And uh, then perhaps not to an extent anymore, but that's not my role. I'm not going to sit here and say that. That's There's investigators who will come out and say that. And Trevor Bauer's agent says it was consensual and it, it will come out in the truth. And maybe she could be right, right? Like it, it reads tough. Trevor Bauer, we've talked hours on this podcast, but he's a weird dude, right? And it's been fully, I think it was back when he was with the Diamondbacks, so a while ago, where he said, I don't do relationships, I do contracts, and essentially, don't fall in love with him if you're a lady, because he does this weird contract thing where he says, I will not, I'll just sleep with you and stuff, and so this was what it was. There is apparently a contract out there, but domestic violence is bad, consensual or not, and it's not a good look. Trevor, You, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I... Yeah, let's talk about this in, in the best way that we possibly can, which is, number one, the way that MLB is looking at this is the investigation has to play out. Uh, and so there, because there's uh, there's always a challenge in these allegations for the he said, she said. Uh, it's especially so in this case based upon the information that's out there. So a, a true investigation needs to be done to find out what happened as much as you can find out what happened. So that needs to play out 100%. That being said... Oh, what for sure Trevor Bauer is guilty of is massive poor judgment. Like, there's nothing when he even even if this ends up proving to be consensual uh, in that case, or that there's uh, someone's trying to. This is all about a potential lawsuit. If if that's the angle of this, not saying it is or isn't, just saying if that is the angle, no matter what, you put yourself in that situation. Uh, this is massive poor judgment from someone who needs to figure out how to when you're this high profile. Uh, uh, the the random nature of, of meeting people on the internet or Instagram or anything that goes with it, and you have to be smarter than that. Uh, and uh, again, I'm, it's not it's yeah. I suppose that's it's, just the best way to leave it. Yeah, it's it's not something we like to talk about. Obviously, we've talked about it unfortunately a few times when it was I don't remember his name, the Angels pitching coach, but Mickey Callaway. Thank you, Mickey Callaway when he's with the Mets, but. This isn't just the newest one, and we don't have enough information to say a whole lot. Remember, there was a time when we thought Randy or Rosarena threatened his wife, right? Remember that? Or his girlfriend. And we got more information, so maybe more information will come out here. But right now, it's looking more Marcella Zuna-like, and 
we haven't seen him for a while, and we probably will never see him again because that one sounded more cut and dry than this one. But here's the question I will ask, and that's because now we've mentioned what four or five different names just from the last six months, right? Uh, how does Major League Baseball have a domestic violence problem or when you count the amount of, of employees that are involved in the full organization that is Major League Baseball, are we over, in the right context, are we over-highlighting uh, because of high-profile people versus what would be, if you look across industries and say, like, what is the, the sadly, the statistical average that is there? Uh, is it because it's high-profile that we're over-hyping it as a potential thing, or is there a, a larger issue at play, and how do you... How do you handle it? How yeah, how do you respond to that? That's that's, I mean that's tough because you'd have to know how many people baseball actually employs, mm-hmm. and I not this person that can answer that. But there, it seems to be much more of a problem. Now we see it in the NFL too, though, right? Like I don't know if it's like I said, maybe it's just high profile names and these guys who have they're super young, right? They have everything. Trevor Bauer has literally more money than he can spend in his lifetime. He will never be able to spend that contract that he signed with the Dodgers, and. People like, like, I don't want to say like that. People, young men like that, that have it, you're, you come out as you're, you're invincible, right? You can do anything, and you can't. Like, you can't do some of this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, it's a tough, tough subject to talk about. It, it is. And Washington football team with the NFL, uh, Daniel Snyder, the owner, uh, suspended uh, organization fined $10 million and it was for creating a hostile work environment, also one that was not conducive to women. So uh, this has happened. Uh, and again, I, I do wonder if the high profile nature of that uh, makes this seem more extreme than what it is, but there have been enough uh, uh, articles written uh, from a lot from uh, baseball and football in the last uh, number of months that make you start to wonder if something needs to be done here or do they it's getting to the point that you need your own beyond the commissioner, which again, I wouldn't want to trust that with Manfred anyways, but where you're going to need someone, a board or something else, something separate uh, that is more like from HR comprised of uh, different groups from uh, those within the league, uh, HR executives, lawyer, like things within it to decide, does this person need to be, uh, suspended, banned, anything within it. I think it has to go, it's getting to the point that it has to go beyond just one person making that decision or the little group that's within it, that there needs to be a separate board that handles these things uh, because it is such a... We're getting back into collective bargaining again. Yeah. It's all coming back. Yeah. Where it's all going to come back around to collective bargaining after this season. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. No more uh, talk on that at this point. Get this uh, on the cheery. Yeah, let's, let's talk about uh, a cool milestone. Uh, Joey Votto has always been a, a fun player uh, to watch, a great hitter when he's been healthy. Uh, there's one of the better, uh, I saw it on Twitter, uh, one of the cutest stories you'll find in Major League Baseball uh, this year of uh, a little girl coming up when he's at the the edge of the dugout, uh, and uh, he, he ushers her forward with it because she's wearing, uh, she can't be more than like five years she's old. She's young, yeah, she was uh, his favorite fan. Wear, yeah. Wearing his uh, uh, jersey, super fan within it. He comes over, he signs a ball for it, takes a picture with her. Just a, one of the really cool, uh, was, fun stories. That was after the game. Did you see what, so it was during the game he got thrown out. And he was like apologizing to her because she came to watch him. 
Oh, he I didn't catch the first out. Yeah. I just saw so he the got thrown out in that, that game, okay. and that was like afterwards. He heard like this girl came to watch him, and he's like, "Okay, well, I got it." Once the game was over, he's like, "I hope she's still here." He sent someone up there to tell her, "Don't leave." Then he signed it for her because he got thrown out because really he felt cool. really bad that he got thrown out. Yeah, he's great and cool. Milestone also came up here. Thousand RBIs this week officially, so we're at three hundred and five home runs, a thousand RBIs with a career three hundred three average. He's kind of changed his game the last few years. Kind of sold out a little bit more for power, but. He's still a really good player. Not not a Hall of Famer in my mind, but Hall of Very Good. And I'll put him in the Fred McGriff uh, category. He'd probably make the Canadian Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's true. He'd probably make the Canadian Hall of Fame. But yes, Fred McGriff's a good good composition. Good comparison. On base machines. Let's talk about uh first time in a, a number of, of weeks, especially with our uh couple week vacation sabbatical, all that all those good things. The heat is on. Uh, let's talk about. Or I'm sorry. That on a heater is our on a heater, on a heater is our good guys. Heater. Let's start with the one I didn't bring up due to injury. So Kyle Schwarber. Yes. What a month of June Kyle Schwarber had. 26 games. This man hit 16 home runs. He had 30 RBIs and had a 292 average for the month of June. A 792 slugging percentage. Not the OPS. That gets to 1.11 or 155 for June, which is insane. For the year, he's now up to a 911 OPS, which is also extremely high. Now, I did not mention him during the the body heat section, but unfortunately, Kyle Schwarber yesterday got hurt with a, quote, significant hamstring strain. I think he had a double or a single, ran it out, and got pulled from the game, and it sounds like this is going to be a good amount of time. Now, he's been playing extremely strongly. That was one of the best months Ever. And I, I had the question, was it going to be a new career high in home runs? He had 38 a couple of years ago, but now it doesn't sound, sound as likely. See, 16 is getting closer to the, the Sammy Sosa 20 in a month. I, I remember got, watching that during the home run chase. So it was, I got this one. His 15 home runs are tied for the second most in June in a single season behind only Sammy Sosa. He was tied with Barry Bonds. So when you're in the name, when you're talking power categories with names like Bonds and Sosa, you had a pretty solid month. And your team just played him too, right? He, he took advantage of your team's and pitching, didn't he? He was uh, I, taking advantage of a lot of pitching yes, uh, yes. In, in the month of June, mine definitely included. Uh, let's go to a guy who I think if it wasn't for Schwarber would be getting a lot more hype. I already sort of mentioned him, and that's Joey Gallo. His June was only 24 games, but he had 10 home runs too, including six in the last four days of June, and then he actually added one July 1st. So seven in five days. Uh, He's peaking at the perfect time for the Rangers to move him? Is that what we think? Definitely uh, to peaking at the right time to move. Uh, some have gone more with the underlying stats that uh, with uh, fastballs under 2,400 RPM, uh, he has been absolutely crushing. Uh, that's a standard that's there. If you're above that, you're getting elite spin rates, and because of things like uh, spider tech and all that stuff there, uh, more have been at that level. Now that number has come down, and now Joey Gallo has come up. Uh, so uh, this is one of the hitters who is now benefiting from the uh, new MLB uh, uh, pitching rules. I think you're going to see it with a lot of the like, – Joey Gallo and Kyle Schwarber are very similar players. Like these guys who feast on fastballs and hit them a long way but also are willing to take their walks. Like Kyle Schwarber walks, has a very high odd base percentage. Joey Gallo is leading the American League in walks, 64 walks. And for a guy who is also leading in strikeouts, for a guy who strikes out that much, you don't think of it, but – Joey Gallo is like a modern-day Adam Dunn with even more power. And 
I think that's a good uh, arm in the outfield. He can he can he's play a really a good player. I really uh, think outfielder. he's actually underappreciated for how good he is. People think he's just like Agreed. this massive power player, but he's good. Uh, yeah, any guesses where we think he's? I do think we both think he's being traded. Yep, he's uh, he's definitely the one of the top two uh, position players that will be available uh, by the trading deadline. Uh, and uh, we'll take this as a note to uh, highlight next week's podcast. We'll be a, uh, a we'll fire up the uh, the hot stove and do our uh, uh, trade primer uh, as we uh, get set for the. Now we're in the month of July. By that point, we'll be less than three weeks from the trading deadline. So it'll be a good time to take a look at the names that have uh, been out there and where we think uh, the teams that will be the most active. One more that was unfortunately also against your team. I promise I didn't make it like that. It's been a rough couple stretch for your team here, but it's uh, they've invited it on themselves. Of late. <laughs> we'll, I'll, I'll obviously be mentioning okay. them in the next category. Uh, let's gotta talk Trey Turner. He hit for the cycle on, on his, his birthday. birthday. Yeah. On his birthday, the third cycle of his career. He's already, I think, he's twenty six now. Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Okay, a little older, but he's now tied for the most cycles in the history of the game with three. That's impressive. He's already got three. He's tied with Adrian Beltre, Babe Herman, not Babe Ruth, Babe Herman. I wanted to look that up. Bob Musil and John Riley. So Trey Turner, that doesn't surprise me just because he's so fast that he tends to lead baseball or at least be very much towards the top in triples. It does surprise me with Beltre that he's yeah, up there. That That's one not, was a surprising one. I don't know enough about wheels. those other guys, but uh, Trey Turner's an amazing player. I actually think he's slightly underappreciated also for how good he is just because Juan Soto, who's been sort of cold lately, is on that team and gets all the hype, and I think that's fine. I think he's amazing too, but Trey Turner's really good and only going to keep getting better. 28's peak of your career, right? Yeah, he's in the in the prime of his career right now and been uh, an excellent player for a number of years already. Let's talk. Okay, let's switch it to pitching. I got two pitchers. One of them, this first one is definitely not in the prime of his career, but he's not pitching like it right now. We already talked about the year of the old pitcher. Rich Hill was on this list once. Let's go to the second oldest pitcher in baseball, Adam Wainwright. He just finished up eight innings at Colorado, only giving up two earned runs. Since the start of June, he has six consecutive quality starts, 41 innings of that time with a 2.41 ERA. On the season, his ERA is down to 3.49, and it's all backed up, too. You look at all the, the underlying numbers, it doesn't say he's getting lucky, and he's almost over 100 innings already pitched this season. For a guy that old to be giving you that many type of innings, that that's great because guess what the Cardinals pitching has been bad other than Adam Wainwright. It's just impressive what he's doing at this stage in his career uh, beyond what uh, Rich Hill's uh, uh, mountain eruption uh, has taken place in the uh, in the month of May especially. Uh, you have someone who has also been giving you innings. Uh, normally you say he, here's a classic a veteran innings eater, but there's been quality innings of what he's provided as well. Nice to see Adam Wainwright still uh, pitching uh, very, very well. I got one more pitcher here on the on a heater section. Herman Marquez. Perfect timing again for the Rockies if they actually do want to do something logical and move their good players. Against the Pirates, he gave up a one-hitter. Now, Pirates, I get that. It's against the Pirates, but a one-hitter at Coors Field and he has two absolute blow-up starts this season. I went through the game log. On May 4th, he went two-thirds of an inning and gave up eight earned runs to San Francisco. On June 12th, he went five innings and gave up eight earned runs at Cincinnati. Otherwise, it's, like, excellent across the board. Even with that blow-up, the June 12th one, since the start of June, he's had 41 innings of a 241 ERA. Cut it down to his last three starts, it's 23 innings of four hits. 
His last 23 innings, he's given up four hits and only one earned run. And so I said, if you Rockies, I know you're going to be an idiot. I, I fully expect you to not do the right thing here, but this is the time. This is when you should start thinking about moving Herman Marquez because it's never going to be at a higher value for you. If we're going to talk, uh, A, I fully agree. Uh, this is the time to trade Herman Marquez. Like This is uh, with the team control he has, as peak as he's pitching, this is the time to, to get something uh, for him. Uh, but if we can't mention the heater uh, without mentioning Shohei Otani. It, it's it's not fair that pretty much every week it's a heater, but that's his that's just his norm. Uh, I mean, it is amazing at this level. He is batting two eighty, uh, three sixty four on base percentage, seven oh five slugging percentage. We mentioned how impressive it was for Kyle Schwarber to be at a nine fourteen OPS. Uh, Otani is over one point zero. I forget the the number now with it one point zero six eight OPS. Uh, not for a month, for the season at this point. He has a 181 WRC+. plus. Uh, it is incredible. 30 home runs at the halfway point. He's about to... He's leading baseball in triples. He's leading baseball in home runs. He's leading baseball in slugging percentage. He is about to have his 27th birthday in two days. So, happy birthday, Shohei Otani. You're amazing. I don't even know what to say most of the time anymore. You, we've said we texted a couple times about this. The only scale that he even has is Babe Ruth, and to tell you the truth, now this is the game is much different. He's outperforming Babe Ruth. Like statistically, his numbers look better than when Babe, Babe Ruth became a better hitter after he he quit pitching. Shohei Otani is now he had a terrible start the other day at Yankee Stadium where the first time he looked human, the, the walks came back. That was the walk issue that we've yep. seen from him. But when when he gets the walks down. I said the pitching is starting to look He's good. He's an ace. And that's what it's always been is the hitting, even the last couple of years, has always looked pretty strong. But the pitching, now it's coming in and I, unbelievable, incredible, amazing. You can just throw in phenomenal. You're amazing. Yeah, whatever adjective you want to yeah. use, you can apply to Shohei Otani here. Uh, we're going to bring him up in the second half of our uh, podcast as we get into a more interesting philosophical debate on what is more impressive uh, from what is a historic uh, AL MVP race. We'll talk about that in just a little bit here. Uh, if just, we Go ahead. I was going to say, if we're going to talk on a heater, do we have to talk the Brewers? Is this what we're talking the this Brewers? This is time to talk uh, uh, the Brewers buzzsaw uh, that has been ripping through uh, the NL Central. The Chicago Cubs got firsthand experience on that one, uh, along with uh, others taking place. Uh, a decisive now 11-game uh, winning streak. Uh, and uh, for you uh, Brewer uh, historian aficionados, uh, this is now the second longest winning streak uh, in team history, uh, getting ready to close on the 1987 Milwaukee Brewers. That was a 13-game win streak. Am I correct, 13 or 14? I think it's 13, followed by a 12-game losing streak, which this earned them the, nick the team nickname, Team Streak. And uh, uh, so that is uh, coming up right now as well as we take a look at uh, an impressive uh, stretch for the Milwaukee Brewers who now have uh, the second-best record in the National League, only behind the San Francisco Giants. I, I, yeah. I do know. So we said they're at 11. So tomorrow they play the Pirates, which I believe is Peralta, which is always a good chance to win. So that would be 12. 
And so if you wanted to tie it, Monday would be Woodruff. They move to the Mets, 13. And Tuesday's the big one. Corbin Burns now lines up to take on Jacob DeGrom, last I knew, on Tuesday. So if, if big matchup go. of the week. There's your matchup of the week. And I don't maybe they, how, they how much are the Brewers lost. surging uh, at least with the streak of that? Okay, so the, uh, are they streaking or are they surging? They're going to be one of the two, regardless yeah. of what happens yeah. in the next couple of games. So, and you have Corbin Burns coming up. You have uh, uh, Jacob Degrom, who isn't human, uh, <laughs> also going up there. So uh, that is going to be a fascinating matchup coming up. Uh, I think I'll be ready to tune into that one myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most impressive things of the streak. It isn't like they've been relying on luck either. Uh, they've overcome adversity in, in various ways. Again, I was watching, uh, I was getting a hash burger, by the way, uh, and uh, it was the afternoon game, the last game against the Cubs, and you know, bringing up the uh, rookie, making his debut, uh, Andy Ashby, uh, and as part of that stuff, giving up seven runs in the first inning. Like, well, eh, they, had, they won the first two games, good run. All of a sudden, I happened to look at the score later in the game, and they're up by two, like, they score two touchdowns. <laughs> And it's fourteen to seven. Like, what happened in this yeah. game? Yeah, it's, it's it been great. that type of streak for the Milwaukee Brewers. So Ashby for anybody. I I talked to some people, and I think most people are did not write him off after that. Like, he if you watch the game, he looked extremely nervous. Um, if nothing else, there are not jitters, many yeah. ninety. There are not many left-handers that throw ninety-seven miles an hour with tail like that. He will be a Josh Hader level of like middle relief option in a couple of years, if nothing else. He will either be a fine starter or his bullpen arm is going to work out. Now, the stretch of wins has included the Diamondbacks, who are the worst team in baseball, the Rockies, who are making a run at that re- that record. Now, the Cubs, pretty good. Those are good wins. Obviously, division wins. And now we're talking the Pirates, who are also making a run at that. So, look, we said this, though. You have to win those games. Those yeah, are the games the stretch you have the to season win. That you needed to take advantage of. And they did and it. With flying colors. And so... I'm not. I've heard people say, "Oh, it's, you know, they're not beating anybody." Okay, they're they're playing the teams that they're against. Like these are still MLB teams. You're beating the teams you're against, and you're supposed to win these games if you're going to do it. So the Mets are a good team coming up, and then they got the Reds before the All Star break. But yeah, the Brewers are looking really strong right now, and led by their still the same thing we've said all year. They're the pit the the batting has gotten a lot better. I will say that the batting is looking strong, but you're still relying on your three aces and Hauser and Lauer are actually looking like serviceable and if the offense is going to score runs they've scored 11 and 7 7 I'm trying to see here 15 2 14 5 10 and 5 if this team consistently gets five runs they're going to win a lot of games what has impressed you most about this team during this stretch Ooh, that's a good one I think it's probably the offense I think it's like a lot of the times testing here is back and he looks capable, right? We've said, if Keston Hira, they, they're doing this with Keston Hira struggling most of the year, but he looks back and he looks capable. And Christian Yelich is still, I think, at three home runs, and he's drawn a ton of walks, which is good. I'm not going to complain about him getting on base, but the fact that it's been a Luis Urias, it's been Willie Adamas, Omar Narvaez had five hits today when I stopped listening. I don't Maybe he got to a sixth hit as a catcher, so contributions across work. Jace Peterson filling in at second base for Colton Wong has like a 600 on base percentage in last week, which, you know, it's not going to last, but hey, you got to get these contributions when you can get them. And right now it's the, the offense is clicking. I'm going to back it up beyond the streak. And because I saw the stat that came through and I just wanted to double check and they've only won since then. So no one has overtaken them from it since May 22nd. 
the Milwaukee Brewers have the best record in baseball. Really? Yeah. That doesn't. That's the day they made the trade. It's within like a, a day of yeah. that. So, uh, uh, Willie Adamas. You were right, man. I've, I've given you credit for this one before. You you were spot on there because you said what was going to happen. The uh, he has been such a difference maker for the team in the in the clubhouse. Just the energy level. His offense has, has been there. There there's reports, and he said it himself that the the lighting at the trop uh, at Tropicana Field impacted him greatly there and it showed we uh anyone who's a race fan would say you know there's there's home willie and there's road willie and road willie's numbers were vastly different uh that has only been proven that much more uh since the trade to milwaukee but uh i obviously have the race perspective but from the brewers perspective what have you liked the most about what willie adamas has brought to the milwaukee brewers since the trade oh it's 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 the energy. It's the energy. I think that's gotten the whole team going a little bit more than it was. and A little more pep in the step for everyone. Yeah, and it's – obviously, he's you, – you can be a rah-rah player and not be any good. Craig Council made a career of that. Like, I don't <laughs> think he was any good at playing baseball, but he was a rah-rah player. But Willie Adamas is also backing it up. I've seen him have – I think he's got like an 850 OPS since coming to Milwaukee, which – The power. That's great. And so, the other day, he had a grand slam to right center field, and he's batting like middle of the order now for the team. And – yeah, it's, he's a big part of what's going on with that team right now. We'll continue to keep uh, eyes on the uh, the Brewers. I guess the last question I'll ask uh, before we uh, move on is uh, they've been on the, such a, an incredible winning streak, but is there is there anything that you'd say, you know, it's kind of like uh, – uh, you know, having an amazing car was saying, yeah, you know, those those tires could use a little work. Evan uh, Williams still doesn't look right. There's still stretches where he looks <sighs> – so they gave up to get Willie Thomas. They gave up Drew Rasmussen and JP Fireisen, and they've been good for your team, and that's fine. It's even trade, but you can tell that the Brewers miss some of the bullpen depth because Devin Williams and Brad Boxberger have been—I don't want to say bad, but they've been struggling to get it over the plate. Like I think it was the first game against the Cubs, they had a one-run lead, and Devin Williams walked the bases loaded. Now he got a couple of outs, he got out of it without getting anything, but. When you're at the eighth inning in a crucial game like that, you can't have someone that can't get it over the plate. And I don't know what's going on with him this year. It just seems a little off all year. Maybe it's something like you said earlier. Maybe it's just, you know, this is really, he won rookie of the year last year. It was his first year. Now we're at, if the season's already longer than it was last year. Maybe his arm's not ready for it, but what they're going to they, need him. What they need is an Adam Simbird type. Yeah. Uh, that That's yep. an easy uh, uh, type of target to be looking at. I think they will get some bullpen help. Another thing we'll take a look at next week in our uh, uh, hot stove primer. Uh, so we'll move on to uh, the, the opposite end. So we have those that were uh, uh, on the surging, scorching heat. Now those that uh, uh, need, need to turn it on in, a, in, a, in a, the worst way. And if we're going team or if we just talk team, let's flip it the other way around. The team who was the other side of that uh, Willie Adamas trade has not had the best record in baseball since that move, but it is not. It really doesn't have anything to do with Willie Adamas. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays have been on a uh, on a free fall uh, for about the last four weeks, and now you can say it coincides with the Tyler Glass now injury. That would be more accurate of things. It's caused everyone to go up a rung. He was the one constant in the rotation who allowed the, the innings that would be pitched that allowed others to take a little bit of a breather with their more of the, the team style approach to a pitching from starting pitching and relief pitching together. Uh, 
but uh, I think they're at their 10th straight or 11th straight road loss uh, within this uh, team that seems to be uh, very much scuffling as much as they could say. Uh, as everything was firing on, on all cylinders when they had baseball's best record, everything going well, everything is pretty much going wrong right now. Once thing might go well, they might get hitting but then no pitching, or they'll get uh, pitching and hitting and no defense. It's just always something coming up right now, uh, and the offense is more concerning than the pitching uh, at this point to me. So let's talk. We had to talk Wander Franco here, man. We had yeah. talking. Where are we at? We're at 200, so that's not great. It's not Jared Kelnick bad, but I staying up all year, I, st- I think he's still batting third, right? We're not sending him back down. Yeah, he's he would really have to – fall off a cliff uh, for anything to change there. And you've seen, uh, if you've been watching him, he works good at bats. Uh, the counts are, are good. Uh, not the elite uh, eye level right now, uh, as you wouldn't expect a guy who's only two weeks into the, uh, the the majors at this point. So he's striking out more than what he has in the minor league career, but he's also nowhere near uh, dangerous levels or gallo levels of anything uh, within that. So, uh, but those things that will improve. He's had hard, uh, hard hits just right at people. So some of this is a bit unlucky, uh, and so you ride the the wave within it. But he's held his own for his age level uh, on a team that's contending for for playoffs. That's in the middle of a slump uh, collectively. So uh, he's not lighting up the screen. He's not uh, uh, making you. Uh, uh, dream about him uh, at at night that way, but he's holding his own. Yeah, for a guy who's twenty years old, I see he's got seven strikeouts to five walks. That's that's what you want to see. Like you should, absolutely. And I said that's. I have there's so little doubts that Wander Frank will be good, and I have so little doubts that Jerry Kelnick will be good. Like baseball's really hard. We said it before. These guys had no season last year unless it was with the big leagues, and that was not really playing games. It was just an advanced practice. But I think your team will be. I think. I said all along, I, I, your team will be competitive. They find a way. It's a slump. They happen. Does it mean that they're the favorites? Boston looks pretty good, and Toronto's really good. So we said all along, the AL East is tough. Now, could they get hot and win? You know, fourteen of you know, eleven of fifteen or whatever they've lost. Sure, no one to be surprised, but it's a slump. And again, this is the reminder for a call this year um, fans' public service announcement uh, for everyone in Major League Baseball. Uh, we're back to the marathon and not the sprint. Uh, the 162-game marathon, not the 60-game sprint. And that means that you're going to have uh, streaks where your team looks absolutely awful in a dumpster fire. You'll also have other streaks where they can do no wrong. Uh, that's what happens in a 162-game season. We were talking about, uh, before we got started here on the podcast, one of the impacts of the change from 60 games to 162 games is it sure appears that there's more streakiness this season than in years past. It sure feels like there are more 10-game winning streaks at this stage in the year than there's been in a very long time. I don't have the stats to back that up right now. I'd have to do the research on that. But it sure seems we've had more 10-game winning streaks uh, than I can recall in quite a while. You had the Oakland Athletics earlier this year. You had the Rays doing it. The Milwaukee Brewers have done it. Uh, I have not checked to see, but I thought the San Francisco Giants but, did it as well. Say, at least the Giants, and I think the, check the, the Padres Dodgers. right now. I think the Padres are on at least nine right now, unless they lost. They've just lost two in a, in a row okay. right now, but the Dodgers are at seven in a row. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that one, too. There's some long ones. And, yeah, like you said, you, you get hot these streaks, you get a hold streaks. So, so the, the Rays are not done. Yeah, so the, the public service announcement is this. 
Your team is neither as good as they are on the hot streak yeah. nor as bad as they are on the free fall. Uh, so ride uh, ride the wave overall uh, and uh, and see how how things go. So uh, that's where we're at at the uh, the eighty game point here. Uh, but point. who else do you have on the the heat is on? Do you have a team or, or are we switching to players? I have five players. Right, so this roll. is my pick to win the Cy Young Award in the National League. Aaron Noah. It's a kind of a weird year. So 95 innings, 118 strikeouts to 22 walks is amazing. Like, if you told me he did that, I'd be like, yep, he, he could very well be tracking to the Cy Young Award. All but positive science towards what you would say is a good year. Lowest walk rate of his career, but he currently has the highest home run per nine. But even that, 1.32, not outrageous. He's usually a guy who runs like a slightly lower BABIP, like a 280-ish, which he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. That's understandable. It's at 331, which is which is high for him. And so I had to go like even deeper. And so I went to the stat cast and for some reason, now this could be a sticky stuff thing, but he's been getting kind of hard all year hit kind of hard. all year. but his fastball, which he upped the usage substantially to like 50% is also getting hit way harder than any of his other pitches. So I don't know. He's also got these weird blow up starts that kind of inflate his season two and a third, six earned on June 19th. And then just this week, four and two thirds, seven earned against Miami, which was a lot of singles. They took him out in the relief. The Philadelphia bullpen is still bad. I don't know what's going on with that bullpen, but they blew up some runs for him. So he's not going to win the Cy Young Award. And he's not Jacob DeGrom, but I still don't think he's nearly as bad as it looks. I think he has a mid fours ERA right now. If you told me that from this point on, he somehow gets, he can lower that back down to a three, eight range. Like if you told me Aaron Nola went on a month stretch where he had a mid twos ERA, I'd say, yep, that's, that's entirely possible. Yeah, he's he's the type of prime candidate. If you're in any sort of fantasy a league that allows you to make trades, uh, that's someone who I'd be targeting massively uh, as part of a, a second half uh, betting on the second half of the season. Or you have the different uh, uh, fantasy uh, uh, online places that are there right now when you can make bets on on players or things within it. He's absolutely a, a buy low candidate that I'd be looking at right now. Yeah, if we're going to talk fantasy, let's talk about the guy that really, really hurt my fantasy team early in the week, and it is top prospect, Matt Manning. Uh, He's come up on this podcast a few times, and I just don't know what happened to the strikeouts. So he's now been here for 14 and one-third innings. He has six strikeouts at the big league level. Six. This is a guy who was a 14 per nine strikeout type of guy a couple years ago at double-A. Now, he's still young. Once again, I don't have any concerns that at some point Matt Manning will be very good. I started him this week in a two-star week. I believe he pitches tomorrow. I kind of hope he gets sent to the minors between now and then. I'm more willing to hope that he gets sent down than him pitching again, but he's got an 8-16 year. Three and two-thirds, nine earned runs is what he gave up earlier this week against, and the problem was that was the easy matchup. That was Cleveland. He gets the White Sox. That's the hard matchup. So Matt Manning probably needs more seasoning. We've seen it with yep. Daniel Lynch. We've seen it with Jackson Coar. The only Manoa just means he's great. not ready yet. Yep, and it's fine. He'll be good. It, but he was definitely he deserves to be on the heat is on now. This one here is a weird one. Also on my fantasy team, uh, Araldis Chapman. So yeah, I think he's clearly been somewhat affected by the sticky stuff ban. Um, I don't know. Basically, ever since that happened. The numbers have went way down. Now, I also think he's considerably better than this. I do not think that suddenly, I think he has an 18 ERA in the month of June. Like, that isn't going to happen. Now, if you told me that the Yankees said, hey, Araldis, you're going on the 10-day IL for two weeks, nope, wouldn't surprise me at all. Maybe 
His velocity is still way up. The spin rate is down. Now, not as bad as it was. He faced 49 batters in June. I got this one offline. 11 of them struck out. 14 of them got hits. 10 of them walked. And that's just not him. Early in the year, remember, we talked about he had like a .6 whip. And so he gave up a 22% strikeout rate and a 500 on-base percentage against. From watching him over the last number of years, he does get into a control funk at times. Just a little blip that comes through, and then he becomes uh, ineffectively wild. Yeah. Uh, and some can some can hold on well that way with him. It means more pitches, and then ultimately there's going to be one that someone can hit. Uh, and so this is a nothing that is of long-term concern, uh, but it is definitely... Uh, for Yankees fans, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. Uh, when you really finally does. are getting the, the the win opportunities and your normally lights-out closer is uh, acting like a turnstile uh, yeah. and uh, having cases of it whiplash. Was, I think it was Wednesday night this week, earlier this week. That they actually wasn't even a save opportunity because Brett Gardner hit a home run in the top of the ninth and they had a four-run lead, but they still send him out there. And it was like walk, strikeout, walk, walk, grand slam, tied. And you're like, wow, what is happening to Araldis Chapman? So... You know, if, if we're going back to my fantasy team, I'm going to keep starting him. I don't, you have to. There, are, He's too good when we've seen him, and you can flip a switch like that. Luis Castillo's back to being Luis Castillo, and we talked about him a couple times on here. Absolutely. And talent prevails, and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make up what he could give me by picking up Greg Holland. So he can give me saves, he can lower the ERA, so he's going to stay in there. Now, moving on to some hitters. Chris Bryant's season numbers look fine. I did see he hit a home run today, but... His June was pretty bad. We talked about him. 23 games as he battled some injuries. Uh, When the Brewers played them, he missed it with a right side injury. But he was 9 for 79 in the month of June, which is a 114 batting average with three home runs and five RBIs. Now, the Cubs, we talked a little bit about this. The Twins are a trade-off team. The Cubs now are falling behind not only the Brewers, but I believe they've fallen behind the Reds and are right around 500, which if you asked Jed Hoyer, I'm sure he would love to say, look, we're not in contention. Let's trade away because I don't think he really wants him to contend. This is a team that has now lost eight straight uh, and has now slipped into third place in the NL Central, eight and a half back of the Brewers. So we do think Chris Bryant gets traded? If they view themselves as out, uh, and that's the, there needs to be a heart of hearts happening in the, uh, Cubs uh, front office, but there's an additional factor that's going to be in play that ownership will definitely be contending with. The Getting fans back in the seats has been nice. Uh, having a competitive team has been nice. The, the potential of playoffs has helped that. This is a, one of the teams that has openly stated they've been, they felt one of the bigger pinches uh, from COVID-related revenue losses. Uh so if you trade someone like Chris Bryant, how much is that, if any, going to impact uh, the attendance and then that revenue that goes with it? So how much is ownership going to get involved in saying, yes, you can or no, you can't? Uh, that's the probably the biggest question with Chicago at this point. We'll see. Tune in next week when we talk about some of these things again. But my last bat player is a batter. Reese Hoskins played 24 games this past, past month. He got up 96 times. He had 10 extra base hits, four doubles, and six home runs, but he had a total of 13 to- hits in 96 at-bats. That's a 135 average. Now, I did not go back through. I'm sure he's had average seasons like that in the past where he hit 135. But what's really weird to me is his walk rate. 
our last full season, 2019, the non 60 game season, he led the national league in walks, which was 116, which meant a 364 on base percentage, even though we only hit 226. This year, his walk rate is nearly half, and he has 78 games. He's only walked 29 times. So his 223 batting average is got a 298 on base percentage to go along with it. And that's why, remember, before we started, I said, Bryce Harper, 14 home runs, all solo shots. That's tracking towards a record, too. And part of that is Reese Hoskins isn't getting on base in front of him. Yeah, and this is one that I would not be considering a uh, a buy low candidate for the second half of the year. I think we're getting closer to the point that Rice Hoskins is no longer a starter on a competing team. Yeah, I, I he's looking bad. Like I said, if Joey Gallo wants to draw walks, that makes Joey Gallo really good, even when he does strike out that much. If you're not drawing walks, you're not helping your team any. And Reese Hoskins is a pretty bad defensive first baseman, actually. He does not move very well over there. So the Phillies are... I don't know. The Phillies are one of the weirder teams in baseball. As they uh, continue to be uh, entertaining and not always the most entertaining ways. It's, you were right about Jose Alvarado getting some saves, but then he blew a bunch, and now I don't yeah, even know that, who the closer is there That anymore. was not someone that, uh, and just from the last couple of years, he, the one year that he was lights out was an aberration. Uh, and he's prone to the meltdown. The, the walks became uh, that he was able to keep in check for one year have been an issue ever since. And so I would not trust uh, a bullpen uh, to him. Uh, and uh, he has definitely shown that here. You hope that maybe you could get some sort of resurgence with them to at least be at least a decent late inning arm, but the, the control is always going to hold him back. Yes, it will. And that's what it's been holding him back and Naris back and Bradley back and whoever they throw out there that isn't Sam Coonrot. Did you see that? I think I mentioned before they signed Naftali Feliz and they threw him into like the ninth inning after he hadn't pitched in three years because I don't think Joe Girardi knows what he's doing when he doesn't have Araldis Chapman at the back of his bullpen. So, And we've talked about Joe Girardi before being yeah. kind of an idiot. We're talk about another idiot in a little bit when we talk about – actually, let's go to the next segment. Hey, give us a break here. So we'll uh, uh, that takes care of that. The heat is on. Hopefully, some guys get fired up uh, uh, as we approach the, the second half of the year. We have some hot button issues that we're going to take a peek at here in just a little bit. We'll cover the All Star Game, Team USA. Uh, we have some good debates that'll be coming up, and then some uh, uh, some dilemmas that we're going to tackle as well. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You two, fight to the death. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Are you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games? Don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome. Well, as we take a look at the uh, hot, some hot button issues that have come up, uh, let's go into the issues first. We'll end with the All Star Game and Team USA. Uh, but let's take a look at a. We're going to do an MVP check in for each league. We're going to go to the American League, and. It is a very clear, if you have eyes at all, if you've been watching the American League at all, it is a very clear two-player race. It is Shohei Otani, and it is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 
Uh, we've mentioned Otani. I'll let you dive into some of this first, and let's just talk the players just a little bit. Obviously, this has been the well-known in, in, in baseball so far here, but the highlight that I'll give for La- for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is that it was at the for reaching his first what like fifty home runs of the of his career was on the same game pace as his dad. When you track to be a Hall of Famer, you're you're doing something right. Vladimir Guerrero currently has a 40% 40 war at this point as far as offenses go. I think people forget. Vlad is only 22. Like it seems like he should be 26 cuz he's been here for a while, but this guy is really young still. And what's really changed this year for Vlad? Uh he's figured out that he has to keep lifting the ball. We've, I've said before, he always hit the ball extremely hard and the lift that he now gets into the ball has cost a big deal for him. Now you can look at his splits. He has weird splits this year because they played at Dunedin. They've now playing at Buffalo. And so his home splits are awesome. His road splits are still really good. Like I don't want to say it's bad, but there is a clear difference between home Vlad and road Vlad. Now I'm not going to sit here and poo poo the fact that he currently is leading baseball in on base percentage. And since that he's leading in OPS, he's leading in total bases He's really good. 27 home runs, 69 RBIs, a 338 average, and he takes a ton of walks for a guy that's that type of a slugger. 51 walks, only 60 strikeouts. But I I do think that if they ever do get back to Toronto this season, which I don't know how Canada is looking at COVID lately, but I don't know if they get back there. I do think it will affect him. That's saying that instead of maybe being the best two hitters in baseball, maybe he's one of the best 10 hitters in baseball. I don't know. But yes, if you told me that you voted for Vlad right now for MVP, I'd say, sure, go for it. He's he's awesome. But the value that Otani brings and the fact that he essentially gives you a completely extra roster spot because he can pitch and hit, he basically gives you an extra roster spot. And I don't even know if war or any of the stats we have truly quantifies what Otani can do for a team. Yeah, the... Uh- you can only the only thing you can do with stats is com- just compare to a player that this hasn't been done in a hundred years since the legendary Babe Ruth. I mean, that's as as uh, short list of a category as uh, as amazing of an a feat uh, that is taking place right now with what Shohei Otani is doing, and he is still right now base baseball's best slugger uh, so far in addition to putting up ace-level uh, pitching. It is it is impressive in every which way, shape, or form. Uh, now, let's talk Vlad within it, though. If if he is able to uh, actually accomplish the triple crown... Uh, which is it, not... I'll get this... I'll get how close he is. You keep talking, sorry. So as you as you dig the, dig into that, this a triple crown hasn't been done in the American League since tw- 2012. Miguel Cabrera with the, the Detroit Tigers was the last one to accomplish it. Uh, if Vlad, uh, here here's the the debate that I wanted to get to. You have two players that are doing historic level production. No one has done what Shohei has done in 100 years within that. The Triple Crown is still the classic. If you accomplish that, that's pretty much an automatic ticket to the an MVP award. So which one, if both accomplish it, if Shohei Otani keeps up his pace, if Vladimir Guerrero would actually get the Triple Crown, which one are you giving that to? If, if that is the level, if that's how the season ends, which one is more worthy of the MVP? It's Otani still. It, it's close. So... 
before we get into this. So Vlad is at 338. Michael Brantley is hitting 340, so he's second in the American League. Otani has 30 home runs. Vlad has 27, so the second. Uh, Rafael Devers has 70 RBIs. Vlad has 69, and Otani has 66, so they're second and third respectively there. So <sighs> it's tough. Like I'm sure he would be – I'd have to look back. I think we maybe talked about one guy getting a triple crown and not winning it, but I think there was, was two triple say, crowns has, that year. Has there ever been a triple I crown? I think there was two that year, if I don't remember. One in the American – no, that's not possible. So I don't remember. But – if Vlad got the triple crown and he didn't win, it would absolutely be a big story. But you are talking about a guy in Otani who does both. And it's not me saying, I don't want to sit here and poo-poo and say, oh, Vlad, you're not any good. Like, there's a legit chance that Shohei Otani hits 40 home runs, steals 20 bases, wins hundred, wins 10 games pitching with, like, a three ERA. That That is within the realm of possibility, which is two players. I'm going to go up and say 50 home runs because he's already at 30 yeah. right now. Yeah. Uh, and we're just at the halfway point. Even if he comes down, if he does a, a fifth, uh, almost a, like a uh, 33% reduction in what he's been doing with, with the home run level, uh, you're, you're looking at 50 home runs, or at least how about this 45? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he is, he is, uh, it's just impressive the numbers he's at. Okay, so if we prorate this out a little bit, let's say he hits 45 home runs, he's at 12 steals, steals 20 bases, hits 280, and I got to you got to click. It's, it's so hard because it's not designed for his pitching. So his pitching is. Well, I'm going to jump in just at that point. Hmm? That tells you how different this is. That not even the stat tracking uh, websites. <laughs> even know how to list all of his stats. You can find him hitting. You can't find the pitching. If you find one, you can't find both. No one knows how to list what he's doing because no one has done this. So this includes the blow-up the other night we talked about. He's only got three wins, but 60 innings. We're at 83 strikeouts, a 3-6 ERA. So let's say he pitches. We'll, we'll say he slows down. They give him it's 115 innings roughly, which I guess would be about what he's pitching now. With a mid-threes ERA, he wins seven games but he strikes out 140 batters. That's like, unpo- we've never seen that, right? And you probably will never see it again. I Brendan McKay, whatever, uh, I can't think of who else is a minor league guy. I will I will go out, I'm not on a much of a limb here, and guarantee that any two-way player we ever see again will never be Shohei Otani. Yeah, this <laughs> is, again, if we want to say how hard it is and how impressive it is to win a Triple Crown, uh, again, we're talking this hasn't been done in the Major League stat boxes. This hasn't been done in 100 years. Uh, and the odds of it happening again uh, are at about the same clip. So let's and now we'll just do the batting. Shohei Otani to Vlad. So Otani's got seven less runs. Ota- Vlad has 65. Uh, Vlad has 15 doubles. Otani has 17. Otani has actually leading baseball in triples. He has four of them, and Vlad has one, which is impressive because he's definitely not fleet of foot. And Otani, 30 home runs to Vlad's 27. I said Vlad has a couple more RBIs. Vlad has two steals, which is actually more than I would have guessed. And 338 for Vlad. That's where the big lead is for Vlad because Otani is only hitting 280. Like only 280, but a 364 on base percentage. Vlad's leading baseball with a 442. So. I said, I'm not going to sit here and say Vlad Jr. doesn't deserve to win an MVP award. I think he will win one before his career is done. Absolutely. But if Otani does what I think is, we both think is well within the realm of possibilities, it's arguably the best season ever. Is this the the best 
MVP debate that has been there in a long time. Like, where would this season stand if you do have someone who accomplishes a, a triple crown and also does what Shohei Otani is doing this way? Has there been a better debate than this in, a, in our lifetime? Like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, <laughs> when they were both on roids? I, when they were both setting records for hitting too many yeah. home runs? Like, they were both breaking records. This would be a triple crown and uh, something that we've never seen before. So that's yeah. the only one I can even think of. And, and yeah, I, I would agree as far as two guys that have been this neck and neck that have been this good. But even uh, uh, McGuire pulled ahead, like understood, pulled ahead by the end. And maybe uh, one so of these the guys will too. Is, yeah, and, and maybe that's very, very capable that's at this point. That's always you my question with Otani is yes. durability. The, you ask him to do so much. And I will give the Angels this for they have a lot of problems. They have mismanaged certain, certainly problems out there, but they have kept to their six man rotation. And because of that, he seems fine pitching still. And you, but you always ask him to do two things. So he's got to stay healthy. And, you know, I pray that he does. And I hope that Vladimir Guerrero stays healthy, but there could certainly be a differentiation. We just talked about your team went cold for 15 days. If one of these guys go cold now, they're great, but Vlad could go cold and hit 230 for 15 days. Shohei Otani could hit 240 for 15 days. It's possible. One more thing with the with the Triple Crown just to highlight. Uh, yes, uh, Miguel Cabrera did that in 2012, but it had been since 1967. Yastrzemski? Uh, yeah, correct. Good. Uh, that anyone has, and that was still the earliest, or the I suppose I said the latest person to have the Triple Crown. It's been 80 years in the National League. So outside of a blip from Miguel Cabrera, which shows you how good of a season he had, this is a, a rare feat in Major League Baseball as well. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, could, how that goes. There could have been some good debates in like the 2010 range if Cabrera didn't get traded to the Tigers. If he just stayed on the Marlins, Pools versus Cabrera battling, they could have battled for the Triple Crown a lot. But hindsight's 2020. <laughs> Let's talk the National League one, should yeah, we? Let's, let's switch over to uh, uh, to that one, and we have, uh, uh, well, I'll let you dive into the, the first players. I mean, we have uh, San Diego, we have Atlanta, we have a couple of uh, the best young players in the game are in the I National League. These guys are like Otani and Vlad are, are great. I think these guys are more exciting. Like these are the ones we've talked about. MLB doing a poor job of marketing their superstars. Tatis is amazing. He's got cool hair. You, do, you just worry about the arm. He's leading baseball in offensive war right now at five, which is actually Vlad is second. And Acuna, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., is the leadoff hitter for the Atlanta Braves. He's also very good. So let's start with Tatis. Tatis is hitting 302 with 26 home runs, 17, RB, or 17 steals, 57 RBIs. Remember, he was hurt. So he's only played 65 games, and he still is leading the National League in home runs and has 17 steals to boot. Uh, he's leading the National League in slugging. He's leading the National League in OPS. He's leading the National League in OPS+. Plus. The only questions with Fernando Tatis is the same question we've had all year. How long does that shoulder hold out? If it holds out, I think that he likely wins this award. Now, if his shoulder doesn't hold out, there's a very, very <laughs> good option also. I don't even know. Good is not the right word for it. Uh, Ronald Acuna has not done anything wrong to not earn this award. He also has 22 home runs and 16 steals. They're very similar. He's just hitting 280, so a little bit less. He's leading the National League in runs because he bats leadoff. Uh, 
Acuna is great. Tatis is great. They are also extremely young. Uh, baseball needs to market them. Otani, Vlad, they just don't do it well. I just did the numbers for the, those four guys. The oldest person is Otani at 26. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Guerrero, Tatis, and Acuna are like 24 and under. 22. The future of the game is great. The future of this game is set. Just don't mess it up, Rob. And as far as Acuna versus Tatis, I think if I said I think if Tatis stays healthy, Tatis will get this. Uh, Acuna, we had we had to talk about Acuna's manager here now because this is what I want to talk about. This is the idiot that I mentioned. So last night, which is Friday night, Pablo Lopez, very good pitcher, great pitcher for the Marlins, hits Acuna with the very first pitch of the game, like in the elbow. And Acuna has a pad there. He kind of smirked and was hurt a little bit, but he he stayed in the game. Now Acuna has been hurt. He he tends to miss time with these like back pulls and things like that, and so. <laughs> The manager didn't, or the umpire did not throw Pablo Lopez out of the game. In fact, it looked like we were going to keep playing, but Brian Snitker, who is the Braves manager, started whining and moaning, and uh, long story short, like five minutes later, the Braves, the umpire threw Pablo Lopez out of the game, and... Yeah, they had like a conference on, on the umpires, did a conference together, and then they, when they came out of it, they said that they ejected him, right? Yep. And... uh it's ridiculous. A manager should not be able to do that. Umpires, you're the ones in a charge, not the not the manager. And like we said, if you said they should have just walked off the field. That's a good one. I said I don't know why they didn't just pitch Pablo Lopez today. Uh, they should have. He threw one pitch. Actually, they should have had him hit someone right away. Actually, that would have been great. <laughs> and then charge them out. But uh, yeah, to me, at this level, when the Marlins are already, uh, if you want to, again, you show up. Uh, and there's there's potential repercussions for it, but if you want to make a, a full scene of something, you have to show them up. And the only way to, I would walk, I would just would have walked off the field. I'd say this already is unacceptable. There's, you, yeah, you can play under protest. Man, why don't you just uh, walk off under protest? I think that would have been a, a better case for something that was egregious that is being swept under the rug. That's what I don't like about this. Ah, well, you know, umpires in their discretion, or they can make a mistake, or blah blah blah. No, I would have made a big bigger deal out of this. That's not okay because the impact, as some uh, media members had highlighted, you just gave up the inside of the plate to Acuna for the next ten years, and that's the that's the how, how thing can here. you pitch inside now? This so, is the precedent that they're setting. The only way you're ever going to get any of these guys out, any of these guys, even more of them, Otani extends his arms, it's gone. Like he hits some absolute rockets, and Vlad Guerrero hits bullets all over the park, and. Uh, Fernando Tatis, we've seen him turn on pitches and pop his shoulder out because he swings so hard. So, and Ronald Acuna is the same way. The only way you get these guys out is to try to jam them. And yeah, it's it's hard, but it's it's dangerous to get pitched up and in. But you got to try to get them out. And like you just said, it, if Acuna apparently gets hit up there now, oh, throw him out because it happened. Like Pablo Lopez had to pitch up there. That's where he had to pitch. He clearly was not trying to hit him on the very first pitch of the game, but he did. They threw him out. Now especially when this is a division rival and you're going to be going head-to-head with this team for a, for a number of years. that There's so much that was uh, done here that is going to take a little while, that's going to take a long while to undo. I don't want to take this away from the original discussion point. Acuna is very good, and I'm not blaming Randall Acuna. I don't want to come off as like, oh, I don't want to blame Acuna. I'll blame Snicker. Snicker deserves some of it, but Acuna is very good. I do think he is less likely to win than Fernando Tatis if Fernando Tatis stays healthy. Especially with the way Atlanta is scuffling uh, mm-hmm. right now. Uh, Tatis is more in the driver's seat uh, within this, but I'll throw this one into the mix. This was my curiosity, and this is not a knock on Tatis or Acuna, but 
as well as Jacob DeGrom is pitching. The year of the pitcher level, like best season of MLB history to be in the same top two, top three category, looking at both uh, uh, Bob Gibson uh, as well as Dwight Gooden. Uh, with what they've done in MLB's history, he is approaching a level. I, th- I forget if it was, uh, I'm forgetting if it was uh, Ken Rosenthal or, or if it was Jeff. No, I, I think it was Jeff Passan from ESPN highlighting that even if uh, Degrom gave up 50 percent more runs than he has to this point, he still would be under a the, the 1.12 ERA that Bob Gibson had. Well, he did give up three runs in his last start. That's he's, like he's, human he's slipping. That's He's like slipping. He only struck out 14 in seven <laughs> innings. So, yeah. Uh, when was the last? I was trying to think. Kershaw won an MVP, didn't he? I think so. I think Kershaw won an MVP. So, we tend to think of, you know, hitters as MVPs and pitchers as Cy Youngs. But if you told me that Jacob DeGrom is the most single valuable player in baseball, I'd say, yep. Yeah, he probably is because Jacob DeGrom, we're at 85 innings of him pitching. He is still had a .95 ERA, and that went up with those three earned runs, obviously, quite a bit. He's given up five earned runs in his last 13 innings, which does not sound like much for a normal pitcher, but for him, those were the only – in the month of June, in the, he had one start where he allowed runs. That's how dominant Jacob DeGrom is, and sure, it, it is entirely possible that Jacob DeGrom wins an MVP award. I still think it's less likely just because there is that stigma that the Cy Young Award is theirs. Well, if you can do it at an elite level, uh, it has been more recent history, much more recent than the Triple Crown. Uh, as far as frequency, Justin Verlander did it in 2011 when he won the pitching Triple Crown. Uh, and then you have uh, Clayton Kershaw in 2014. Yeah, and, I, and I, it's possible Jacob DeGrom does it, absolutely. Like, if the Mets come back and win, he, he's certainly been the most valuable player in baseball. I say other people, besides Dotani. Yeah, but for him, it's innings. So that's the thing I was going to say about all these guys is Tatis has his weird shoulder that can pop out of socket at any time he swings. Acuna has his back thing that goes up and down his back at all times, and he plays, and he misses time. And DeGrom, he had a three-inning start. He's had a couple five-inning starts where he would get going, and they took him out. It's just... He's at 85 innings now, so if he would be able to at least replicate what he's done, and that includes a couple of short IL stints, if he can get to 170 innings, that'll be good enough. He doesn't have to get to 200. I think if he gets to 170. I don't think he gets to one. I'll say I don't think he gets to 170. I'll say he gets more to like 150. Because if they're in first place, guess what? They're not going to say, hey, Jake, go out and pitch us seven in the middle of September. It's, It's going to take at least 160 to be able to get into consideration. Uh, and I would say right right now, if he gets there, especially if he gets to 170, he's in the driver's seat to get it. He would be my my prediction oh, yeah. right now to win the NL MVP uh, if he if he maintains what he's doing right now throughout the full season. Uh, he's he's the, definitely the most valuable player I think because every five days the he Mets the true essentially know that if they score one run, they have a 50-50 chance of winning. And if you score two runs, you have like an 80 percent chance of winning the game. So I think he's probably the most valuable player, but. Innings. We'll, we'll see where that ends up. Let's talk about two storied franchises with uh, major dilemmas at this point. We've mentioned the New York Yankees uh, repeatedly on this podcast as we've uh, uh, talked about their challenges. I was out in front on this saying this was a 500 team. Regardless of how their early season uh, record had gone, there was too many issues, too many questions. A team that looks too old uh, and uh, health issues that, that are there. 
Uh, this is a team that is now 10 games back of, of first place. They're one game above 500. They're one game away from being swept in the Subway Series, which is also a, uh, for them, that is a, a stigma, that is an embarrassment, if they can't at least compete in that uh, city rivalry uh, that is there. Uh, and everyone has come out uh, to state, yeah, we're not playing well right now. This is unacceptable for what it is. But here's the thing. If this was any other franchise at this level, you would use that the R word, rebuild. Uh, you would look at potentially making some trades. You'd be looking at trying to, to change things up. But because, and they've even the owners said, this is the Yankees, we don't do that. Uh, so how do you... Should they be? Is this their history that is getting in the way of a team that needs to make some major changes if they want to actually compete in this division? They should, but I don't actually know what they would do. No one's touching Giancarlo Stanton. No, nobody in the world is touching that contract, right? You're not trading. I don't think they trade Aaron Judge. Even if you're a rebuilding team, I don't think you trade Aaron Judge. It's that's a building block. You met Brett Gardner, whatever pass. Gio Urshela. Yeah, maybe you could trade Gio Urshela. He's 29. Labor Torres, uh, his value has never been lower. This is true. So I don't know if you'd get anything out of him. They should have traded him two years ago, I suppose. I don't think that they're also a buying team either. At, at this point, we've mentioned them a couple times as like Trevor Story landing spots or Max Scherzer. I don't know why you do it at this point. You're, you're probably not making the playoffs. Well, maybe you make the playoffs, but it would take actually a run to make the playoffs especially. So... It seems unlikely to bring in one of those guys seems almost pointless, but I don't really know if they have a whole lot of trading chips to offer. You're not trading Garrett Cole. You're not trading Eraldis Chapman. You're hoping to get Luis Severino back. Domingo Herman has very little value. DJ LeMayhu. I, I, I don't think they have a good, uh, like a Chris Bryant type to even give up if they did want to trade it away. That's, that is part of the challenge here is the uh, – it gets dangerous when you can't see a clear path to they're go. In the, they're in the the middle ground, which is what you don't want. And now when you are that way, you can make an argument to say, you know what, we have veterans who have been proven to do well before. We're going to hold on and just try to write out the second half of the year that DJ LeMayhew does hit back more like the way – uh, DJ LeMayhew has, uh, that you can hope on maybe some second-half health from your uh, a brittle guys that maybe there's they sustain things better in the second half. Uh, maybe you can go on, on a, on a mini-run here. Maybe you can find a little bit of uh, around-the-edges uh, trading help that isn't going to cost you much. That can maybe give you a shot in the arm for everything. Uh, maybe that is the best way to go, but we're getting closer to a team uh, using a, a worse word than rebuild, and that's irrelevant. Uh, and that's where the where the pinstripes are right now, uh, at least cratering on uh, of a team that is completely irrelevant to uh, their division uh, and to the American League. Uh, and that's not what you normally see from this franchise. This was a, well, the last time you saw it was the pre-Steinbrenner era. Uh, and so the, there's uh, question marks that are there, not only for uh, for management, not only for front office, but also Ownership questions will start to uh, creep in uh, as this continues. So that's something that will be watched as we take a look at what the Yankees do in the second half of the season. But another storied franchise that is getting into that irrelevant uh, challenge is the St. Louis Cardinals. 
Yeah, they're they're not looking like the Cardinals of usual, where they are constantly competitive. They are also looking a little old, and officially they're forty one and forty two. But part of theirs is some once again you can say injuries, right? Jack Flaherty getting hurt certainly did not help them. That when you lose your ace, and he immediately hit the sixty day IL, and Michaelis got hurt, so they they've had some really bad pitching other than Wainwright, but. A lot of their hitters are getting old. Yadier Molina is 38, and I know he's still hitting 257 and looks like an Iron Man. But eventually, Father Time wins, and catching is harder than anything, right? So I don't know how much longer Yadier Molina has. Paul Goldschmidt's 33, and 255 is he's fine, but he's not Paul Goldschmidt anymore. This isn't MVP Paul Goldschmidt Diamondbacks days, and. Arenado's down to 263, which was basically what we said would happen, is he's still going to be good, and 263 was 16 homers, 52 RBIs. That's good. That's not Colorado Nolan Arenado hitting 320. See, what made this team so so good wasn't just as they had some some good stars. They had an excellent supporting cast. They'd yeah. find ways. of They would draft guys that would come in. Like What impressed me the most about them is their first-round picks would come in and be uh, solid contributors, like almost immediately within like a year or two of the minors. And Colton Wong was one of those examples of players who did that. They'd have these guys that would come in and just be solid uh, contributors and be an excellent supporting cast, which was all they needed with the, a good pitching staff. Uh, and then you had the they'd make the right key uh, big player move on occasion. You had Matt Holiday uh, that was brought in on that way. Now you did Paul Goldschmidt was meant to be that way. So was Nolan Arenado. This is a team that is very strategic when they make that type of move, and they've been solid moves. You know, maybe Goldschmidt hasn't been everything they hoped that he would be, and he's aged a little faster than they had anticipated. Uh, but it's not the it's not the big name players uh, that's the issue. Though some might try to make that argument, it's the lack of the usual supporting cast of the team that churns out. Uh, their high-end prospects, uh, with or high-floor prospects, I should say, that have done very well on the major league major league level, and that is lacking right now because they're on other teams. Their names are Luke Voigt, yes. uh, Randy Rosarena, Adolis Garcia. Like all those guys were Cardinals, and they all got traded, and they're yes. all doing pretty well. So they made some go for it now. Move actually, like the a Rosarena one was like for Matthew Liberator, right? That was the big trade there. So that was kind of like two minor league players. But, yeah, that though they've made some strange moves over the year, and now they're feeling it because, like you said, the depth isn't there on this team. That is the excellent point, uh, the excellent analysis of this, uh, that they've had those types of players, but they're just not doing it for their uniform. And that gets you to, if you want to try to find what's the underlying problem, it's – a rarity in St. Louis. They've usually been so good at always making the right move. Their front office has always been the model uh, of any franchise in Major League Baseball, and they have been wrong more than they have been right in the last five years. And because of that, you have seen a team that has started to crater because they don't have that same depth they once had. It's a problem. They sent our buddy Lars Newbar to the minors, I see which is still a great name, but he's back in the minors. But you're on the 40-man roster, so maybe someday soon. But that was one of the best names in baseball. Last team that we'll uh, mention at this point is uh, I mean, more of like an appetizer, an appetite wetter for, uh, for next week. The most interesting team in July is not one of the division leaders that you are, uh, can look at and see. Uh, the most interesting team, according to most uh, Major League Baseball executives in the month of July, again, trading month, 
the Minnesota Twins. Uh, the bottom has finally, after the hope that maybe they could try to dig their way out, they had a nice little streak before. That streak is gone. They're 3-7 and seven of their last 10. Uh, losers of five straight. They're 15 games under five hundred. This team is officially done. And now they become the most intriguing team uh, when it comes to the uh, trade candidates because they have everything that you would want that could impact a playoff chase. You want a, a frontline pitcher. They, uh, they have one, Jose Barrios who also has another year of team control, so it's not a rental. You want an uh, impact uh, middle-of-the-order hitter. Nelson Cruz, despite his age, is doing still amazing things in the middle of that lineup. Uh, he can uh, play an impact role on an offense or jumpstart an offense uh, from that standpoint. You need an elite uh, uh, late-inning arm, especially one from the left-handed side. Taylor Rogers is one of the most underrated relief pitchers in Major League Baseball, still under control for, for multiple seasons. Whatever you're looking for, the Minnesota Twins have it. And there seems to be the growing belief that all three of those guys will be traded. So Cruz immediately has a half market, right? Because his market is halved by the fact he doesn't play defense, and then it's half by the fact you're not trading him to a team that's not in contention. So his market's very small. Yep. Um, like, Toronto's not taking on Nelson Cruz because they already have Vlad Jr., right? So I with, don't... With Vlad uh, hanging around at first more and being more uh, getting more time there, the The question was Jeff Passan mentioned them as one of the teams that could be lurking on him, but they have more starting yeah. pitching needs yeah. than anything else where they don't believe they could, but... The Minnesota Twins' strategy was, you know, we have offense. Let's just add even more offense and make it so hard for a pitcher to get through it. If you can't get an impact starting pitcher, Toronto, I would go for Nelson Cruz there. Make that the most feared lineup be from than what's uh, what's out there. That'd be better than Houston. Be better than anyone. We'll see on Nelson Cruz. I, I think you'll get traded. Um, I'm trying to think of a team that makes your team Rays. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, your team does make sense. Yep. Um, that's probably the most logical because some of those teams out west, like the, the Astros have Jordan Alvarez, so they're not making that move. And Austin I really have no idea JD what they, I really have no idea what Oakland's doing. So they, they always are confusing. They usually make moves like on the margins. They don't usually tend to make those big moves. Or take on salary. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a lot of salary, but it'd definitely be some. Yeah. Nelson Cruz will be interesting. Jose Barrios will move. I'm sure that Jose Barrios will move. Now he has a massive market, like twenty seven. How old are we talking here? 27-year-old pitchers with a mid-three ZRA who's basically done that for four consecutive years of being, I don't, some people, I think even early on in the year, we talked about maybe there's another level. I don't know if there is another level. Maybe he's, there may never be another level, but a mid-threes ERA from a guy who gives you, he's already at 94 innings, so you figure roughly 180-ish innings, that's really valuable. And a lot of teams will be interested in Jose Brios. And yeah, bullpen arms for days. Everybody wants bullpen arms. Taylor Rogers, uh, I don't know if they'll try to trade Cole May. He's been bad. I said he was going to be bad. He's been bad. Yep. Hansel Robles has been okay. They should just give it to Taylor Rogers, but they didn't. And so I'm sure those guys will get traded off. Uh, other hitters, like what do we think of Max Kepler? That's uh, right now something could go either way. I think there's a lot of a lot of even within the the organization on the fence. What do we think about Byron Buxton? Because that's a really valuable one. No, he's hurt again, but. Once again, if you could ever, if he could just stay healthy, we we'd say this a million times, but if he stayed healthy, the, an impact center fielder as far as defense, who is now showing the offense, he could be every bit as valuable as 
probably the most valuable of them all, but I don't know if they move him. The belief among uh, Minnesota Twins uh, beat reporters uh, has been that the Twins will keep one of Berrios or Buxton. Uh, And right now, Berrios has the higher trade value where this is the time to move him. Buxton, uh, better off to hold on and see see what happens. But ultimately, I think he re-signs or does a contract extension where he's with the Twins for a while. We'll have to wait and see. Let's uh, wrap up here with uh, taking a look at uh, your fantasy team. But if you want to talk about anyone that's been bit by injuries uh, in uh, Major League Baseball, Let's do the All Star. Can we do the All Stars? Oh, yeah, I almost forgot the uh, All Star uh, uh, starters have been announced. Okay, I'm going to throw them at you. Okay, so AL All Stars. We are going with the starting infield. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will start at first. I think we agree that's probably the right decision there. Yep. Yes, I agree. Marcus Simeon staying in Toronto, starting at second. He's been incredible. Everything that Toronto could have hoped for. Absolutely. At third base, we got the Red Sox. Actually, the other side of the infield is the Red Sox. Xander Bogarts is superstar, quietly, amazing at shortstop, and Rafael Devers at third. I think those are perfectly fine selections. Aaron Judge in the outfield, I'm okay with that. Here's kind of a surprise. Tiasca Hernandez has been good for the Blue Jays. Uh, not great, but he's in the outfield, and Mike Trout got voted in. Now, obviously, he will not play. Uh, Salvador Perez is the starting catcher. That makes a ton of sense. He's been incredible. And Otani's the DH. So Trout won't play. It should be Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins for the for the uh, excuse me the Orioles is leading baseball in batting average and has been great. So I think Cedric Mullins should be the replacement there. But we will wait to see. And yeah, I, I think they did pretty good in selecting these. This is selected by the fans. So I think they did a pretty good job. This was pretty solid. I, I don't have any major gripes on that one. Okay, so let's go to the NL. The NL, I think, is even a little better. And it's loading here. Buster Posey at catcher. The resurgence, he's been a little colder lately, but absolutely deserving. That will be his seventh All-Star game, which is pretty amazing. Absolutely. Nolan Arenado gets his first time at third base as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. Fine. Fine move. First base, Freddie Freeman. It should have been Max Muncy, but... Freddie Freeman's good. I don't want to say Freddie Freeman's not good. He's good. But Max Muncy probably was a little more deserving. Second base, here we go. Pittsburgh positive of the year. You got Adam Frazier at second base. Now enjoy it because in about a month, I don't think he's going to be on your team. Maybe not even. He Hopefully he makes it to the All-Star game before you trade him. Yeah, at least wait till after the All-Star game. Absolutely. Uh, Tatis had shortstop to the surprise of no one. The Reds get the two outfielders, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker, both in the outfield and flanked. Flanking, I would assume Ronald Acuna will play center field, and I find it weird that they don't have to like they they don't vote for an, a DH because you know Otani gets to be voted in, but the National League doesn't vote a DH, so we don't know who's going to start for the pitchers yet. We will get some of that later on. That comes from the managers. I think we'll probably have that update next week. Uh, let's talk Team USA. We've never talked about international baseball, but the USA qualified for the Olympics. Did you see that? I saw that, and so. The rules with Team USA are uh, you cannot be on a 40-man roster. So it's not just you can't be on a major league roster. You can't be even on a team's 40-man roster, meaning that they can call you up at any time. So it's a mixture of old veteran, like retired guys, four former All-Stars. Scott Casimir is on the team, Todd Frazier, Edwin Jackson, and David Robertson. So those guys are former All-Stars. A couple of them have World Series MVPs. It's managed by Mike Sosha, one of the most respected managers ever. I'm sure there are plenty of teams who would love to have Mike Sosha managing them. And then there are a mixture of some top prospects in the game. So let's just mention a few of these. I'm not going to go over everybody, but most of the top prospects happen to actually be pitchers, and some of them are on your team. Yep. Shane Baz 
is on this roster. Anthony Goes is on the Indians. He's a very highly regarded prospect. And Joe Ryan and Simeon was Richardson. So those are the big prospect names on here. So if you'd like to see, we've mentioned, I think you brought up Shane Baz a couple weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's been having a uh, breakout season. <laughs> Uh, and uh, in his first uh, taste of Triple A ball, he has been uh, lights out. And if you want to watch him, give it a couple weeks, and you can watch him at the Olympics. Now, as for my team, uh, the injuries have struck. I mentioned Josh Donaldson; he apparently left today with an injury. But my offense has been better lately, and it's keeping me competitive. I've I dropped down as low as eighty seven, and I was getting a little worried that I was going to fall. To the point, I always felt like if I could keep it above 90, I'm still within striking distance of at least second. That would keep me within about 10, 15 of second, and that's still doable. So when I was falling in the mid-80s, I thought, oh, boy, now I'm really starting to lose it here. But I weathered the Matt Manning blow-up. I've had Araldis Chapman get blown up. So my my pitching stats have fallen, dropped a little bit, still leading in wins, still like top five in most categories. But the hitting has stepped up a bit. Muncy's been red hot. Uh... I recently added Abraham Toro. He hit a home run today. I saw any anytime you can get someone with batting in the middle of a t- lineup like the Astros, that's a good sign. And I think that's probably something I will, if if I get invited back again, I will take with me next year. Is guys that bat in the top five of the lineup get more counting stats just because they get up more, and that's logical. And if, I remember I thought Victor Robles was going to bat first, and he's batting eighth. So, like. Some of that just didn't work out for me, but like I like your trays. I, I do, but Manny Margot sits two days a week like, a lot of times, and that's hard. So and, and a platoon lineup that's uh that limits in fantasy. So I think that's something I would learn just as far as pitching stats go, but I'm back up to ninety two and a half points. I see I have three home runs today. Manny Margot hit one. Trevor Larnick, who's been really good for the twins. It hit one, and Abraham Toro hit one. And some of these guys are playing. I have Jesus Sanchez. We mentioned him. I added him. So I think now that they traded Corey Dickerson, I'm not too worried about his playing time. He should play for me. And there was some somewhat encouraging news, I guess, out of Los Angeles that there's a good chance that Seager, they still think, well, maybe he's still going to be back right after the All-Star break. And so we're probably less than a month from me getting Seager and Trout back. And – you know, we'll go, from, we'll go from be. there. We'll go from there. Well, that wraps up our podcast for uh, this week. Again, next week we'll do a, uh, a hot stove primer as we get you set for the uh, trading deadline and impact moves that uh, teams that are looking to make a, a stretch run can uh, can do. Talk to you next week. 